So it's not just existing users who went deeper and got more comfortable and tried more products, but it's also brought many new people who wouldn't have been forced to think about digital ways of living their lives, right? So I think that's the first thing, that acceleration. The second thing, which has sort of been a happy coincidence, is that a few years ago, government started taking fintech more seriously. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the weekly podcast that dissects the pulse of business technology and media in Asia. I'm Bernard Leung. Remittances and cross-border e-commerce payments have been a very, very important part of the infrastructure that powers commerce in Asia-Pacific. And today, I have Venkatesh Saha, CEO of Wise Asia, or otherwise they are known as TransferWise. Hi, Venkatesh. Welcome to the show. Hi, Bernard. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. And this is your first time being on here. So as of always, for my new guests, I always want to ask them about how they get started and some of the things they learn in their career journey. So my first question to you, how do you start your career? So Bernard, I, I think of my career really in two parts, my current role at WISE and then everything that I've done up until now. My early career and the journey there for me was really all about learning skills, working with good mentors and, and building my own professional career. So I started as an investment banker. I was in a management consultant at Bain & Company for a number of years. And then I went to work in government. I served as an advisor to governments both in Africa and here in Southeast Asia. Just before coming to WISE, I was trying to do something on my own, which I was a spectacular failure at and quickly realized that that world is not for me. But the fun fact there is I actually got paid using WISE or TransferWISE as it was then known. And that was my first exposure to what this company was all about. Now, that entire experience was so seamless for me. And I was living in India at that point in time that I just felt that I had to research and investigate a bit more. So that research and investigation led to a career conversation. And now in my fifth year here at the firm. So you started from India and then you moved to Southeast Asia. Is that how it happened? Correct. So I, I had my early education. So I went to university in the United States and I also returned back for my MBA at Wharton to graduate school a number of years later. But yes, the primary career for me has, has been built in South Asia, now in Southeast Asia with, with a brief stint living in Africa. So there's a very big emerging markets theme that you can see here. You have a pretty interesting background. What are the key lessons that you can share with my audience on your career journey so far? What has helped me personally has been two things. I think the first is, I will admit to you, I didn't really find that right mix of my skills and interests until I suppose very, very recently. So for me, the best way to actually figure out and get to that was to learn new skills, but to also try doing it across different industries and see uh, where I could be the best fit for and where I would feel extremely motivated and feel like waking up every morning and, and going into work. So that's why you see this big diversity in my career, I think, in my time until WISE. But what I have discovered at WISE is that WISE gave me a platform to bring all of that together, whether it was my time in financial services learning how to solve problems as a management consultant or working in government. For instance, today, I spend a big part of my time with regulators across the region explaining what WISE does and trying to really make regulation in fintech fairer and more accessible for companies like us. I think it's the culmination of this journey and the skills that I learned along the way that's gotten me to where we are today. So that comes to the main topic of the day, which is talking about WISE in the Asia-Pacific. Before we get into the broader deep dive into the region about how WISE is operating here, maybe can you give an introduction to WISE or TransferWISE in Asia-Pacific? 
So let me first take a step back and talk about Wise as a company. We are now 10 years old. We have 10 million customers around the world. We recently went public. We are listed on the London Stock Exchange. We started with trying to solve the problem of consumer remittances. So Bernard, I don't know if you've ever had this problem, but I certainly did 10 plus years ago when if you wanted to send money from bank account in country A to bank account in country B, you had to first walk to a bank branch, chat to the teller, fill up a form, hand in the form. You would leave the branch, you'd still not know when the money would be received on the other side and you wouldn't know how much would be received on the other side. So what Wise is trying to do fundamentally is to fix this broken problem. When you come to us and send money with us, we tell you exactly how much you will receive on the other side we are very transparent in that we will tell you exactly how much we charge and we also tell you how long it will take now the fun fact here is that close to 40% of our transactions around the world take about 20 seconds or less and that's what we define as instant the company has evolved in then and i'm sure we'll continue to talk about it during our conversation today but coming to asia pacific specifically our hub is here in singapore We have uh, 200 plus colleagues here now in Singapore, and we are supported by a network of close to 10 offices around the region. In Asia Pacific, we offer our services or some form of our services in about eight markets, and we have pretty aggressive plans to continue to grow and expand our footprint here. I happen to know this because my wife happens to be the classmate to one of the founders of Wise.com, Tavet, in the Insider MBA class. So maybe you can tell me who are the founders of Wise and what's the origin story? Because I know it started from the United Kingdom and then subsequently expand to this part of the world. And truth be told, I have also used Wise to do remittances to developers um, to Taiwan or even to China as well. Well, um, hopefully, Bernard, you're a happy, wise customer. But if not, you know where to find me. Our founders are Christo and Tavit, um, and Christo and Tavit literally met at a bar in London ten plus years ago. One of them was living in Estonia, but kept traveling to the UK for work and needed pounds on a regular basis. The other one was living and working in London, but had a regular mortgage to pay in Estonia. And in each month, they would do the same thing that I described to you. They walk to the branch, do all of the paraphernalia that was needed, and still get a different amount that they would receive every time, even though they were sending the same money. And so they both got together and said, "Okay, surely there must be a cheaper way to do this." And so what they started doing was just pooling the funds between themselves. So they would both go onto Google on any given day. Figure out how many euros or pounds the other person needed, and Christo, who had his account in Estonia, would just make a domestic transfer to Tavit, and Tavit, who had an account in London, would just make a domestic transfer to Christo. And by doing this for a few months, they just realized that they were saving each other a lot of money by bypassing the traditional system of sending money internationally. This then spread among their friends. It became an Excel spreadsheet, and is now today a company with with 10 million customers uh, all over the world. So I think the cool thing for me about the founding story was that both of the founders were trying to solve a problem that was extremely personal to them, that they felt um, could be done better, not just for them, but eventually for a lot of people around the world. So, who are the customers for Wise? I think usually is people who have a need to actually either transfer money or do some form of a cross-border payments. You're right, Bernard. So the traditional transfer Wise or Wise that you're known is probably made for people like you and me. who are born in one country they study in another country they probably build a professional career in a third country so you have multiple bank accounts in these countries you're probably paying a mortgage in another country compared to where you live and work or you're having to send money home for family maintenance 
So people like us who have international lives are generally the core users of the service. But in the time, in the last 10 years, that definition has expanded quite a bit. So businesses also use us. And these could range anywhere from gig economy workers to small and medium-sized businesses to people like yourselves who need to pay developers maybe across five different markets or six different markets every month. And more recently, we have continued to focus quite a bit on what we call our platform business, where we have opened our infrastructure to larger businesses. So a good example is our partnership with digital banks around the world and more recently with more incumbent banks. So if I'm a customer of a digital bank and that bank partners with WISE, I get the same experience as I would if I came to WISE directly. There are other large platforms like Google and GPay now in the US, which have started using WISE. So customers of GPay in the US can now send money to India, for example, using WISE. And this definition continues to grow. So what started really as trying to solve a consumer problem, relatively niche, has now expanded to trying to solve the problem of foreign exchanges and remittances across a much, much larger customer base. So if I understand it correctly, it has evolved from what I call a B2C model to a B2B model where large enterprises can now make use of the same infrastructure from WISE to make very huge payment transfers. Sometimes it's actually more like supply chain financing requirements. Yes, that, that is where we would get to in the future. I think uh, today, what we are still very focused on is solving the problem of remittances, which is moving money from point A to point B. The other things that we do now at WISE, and as we have evolved as a company, is something known as the multi-currency account, which has now become quite core to what we do. So this product is now live in many of the developed markets, but certainly here in places like Singapore, Australia, New Zealand, and so on. And so what this account lets you do is it lets you hold up to 40-something currencies. It gives you the equivalent of local bank account details in these markets. And you also get a, a linked companion card that lets you spend this foreign exchange at some of the cheapest rates in the world. So we have also gone well beyond just consumer remittances to, to offering other services as well along the continuum of foreign exchange. So it's about sending, receiving, but also about storing and spending. I used to head up all the post offices in Singapore when I was in Singapore Post, and I was also the licensed agent for Western Union to do remittances. So I'm familiar with the EKYC, the anti-money laundering or what they call AML. So I have to be trained and I have to talk to the regulators very often. One interesting question I thought I should probably ask, how does WISE differentiate from the traditional players such as Western Union where people still go to queue up in the branches, you know, uh, get the KYC done and then remit the money from point A to point B? So we are digital only, which means the entire experience of onboarding you, of you sending the money to us, and us making sure that the money reaches the other point of the world, wherever it may be, is all done completely online. We don't have any physical branches, and that helps us save a huge amount of cost, which we are then able to pass on to the customers in the form of a, of a low-cost and efficient service. But for me, I think what is more important than that is the transparency. And transparency for us is, is on two dimensions. One is when you come to our landing page, to our website, you can very quickly see where you can send money to, how much do you need to send if you want a specific amount to reach at the other end, and the small sliver, which is our cost. So that's on the one side. You also see the speed, so you'll know when the money is going to reach on the other. But in many countries now, we also offer a comparison engine. 
So we say this is what our pricing is compared to maybe three or four of the popular incumbents in the market. In most cases, hopefully we are still the cheapest, but there will also be times where we may not be the cheapest. We might be the second or the third. And at that point, we would actually happily encourage you to go to the cheapest provider that is there in the market. So I think this transparency that we are offering our customers is relatively new and novel. And what is interesting for me is that most consumers today still don't know that their legacy institution is charging them far more than they should be for a simple remittance service on the one hand. But they also don't realize that there is actually a competitive market out there where they can go and shop around and find the best provider for their needs or for the country that they want to send money to. So we are playing a small role in, in this consumer education journey. And we really hope that, that more people will become more sophisticated over time. That comes to a very interesting point. What are the business models that WISE are able to make the revenue because of this low transfer fees? that's incurred, usually in a typical traditional situation? By focusing on one very narrow area of financial services, which is foreign exchange, what we have learned to do well is to do it at scale. So we move billions of dollars each month, I think six billion plus now each month around the world. We have built the right infrastructure and partnerships around the world to make sure that our own liquidity is moved at, at some of these cheapest and fastest rates possible. We do this without a physical branch infrastructure, so everything is fully digital and online. And when you bring this all together, we are still able to be either the cheapest or one of the cheapest providers in the market. But as a company, we are still profitable. We have been so for, for the last four years. And the DNA of being profitable is really ingrained into all of us. So for every route that we send money to, we have to come to a, a pricing that makes it sustainable. I'm pretty curious, what is the current geographical footprint of WISE in Asia Pacific? Does it include China as well? In Asia Pacific, we have our services available in eight markets. So this includes Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, India, Malaysia, Indonesia, Hong Kong, and Japan. Not all of these markets have the full service, which is the remittance, the wallet, and the card. So we are both trying to expand into new markets, but in markets where we don't have the full product suite, we are trying to make sure that we can also offer the full product suite. The general limitation there is the regulatory permissions. So in some markets like Singapore, one license is enough for us to offer the entire suite. But in other markets, for example, Malaysia, we might need three or four different permissions from the regulator. So as soon as we get the next permission, we then offer the next product and the next product and so on and so forth. Now, specifically on China, you can use WISE today to send money to China. And we have partnerships on the mainland to, to be able to facilitate this and make this happen. I am pretty interested to know um, what are the key partnerships that WISE have done in Asia Pacific in order to ensure this uh, remittances to be very smooth for the users and the companies who uses them? So when we advise think about partnerships, we think about it in maybe three or four different dimensions. So the first and the most critical one for us are the regulators in every country that we go to. We have to invest that time and effort in convincing the regulators that we are good corporate citizens. As you mentioned earlier, we take things like AML and financial crime very seriously, and we do everything possible to keep customers and their money safe. So that generally is a journey that takes us between nine months to two years to get the regulatory permissions to launch in our market. 
Once we have that, then the next level are the local financial institutions that we work with. And traditionally, they have helped us with making sure that monies can be paid out. So if I'm sending money from UK to Singapore, I need to work with the bank here to pay that money out to you, Bernard, if you're receiving the money. Or if you are using our service to send money to the UK, you then pay our bank account at a local bank in Singapore. So we have now built this network of, of financial institutional partnerships around the region to make sure, again, that we do it with the highest speed, the lowest commercials, and the lowest friction possible to our customers. The third and final bit of the partnerships are, as as we talked about earlier, the the B2B partners that we work with. So these could be digital banks like Aspire in Singapore, who use the WISE platform for their SME customers, a digital bank like UP in Australia, or like GPay in the US, where any GPay user can use WISE to send money to selected countries. We continue to invest in all three types of partnerships as we grow in the region. And so stay tuned. We will keep updating you as and when we have more to talk about. Okay. And I will look forward to getting you back on the show to talk about all the new exciting announcements coming from WISE. Since I have you here, I'd love to get your insights on thinking about trends in fintech. Maybe specifically in Asia Pacific, what are the key trends that you're observing? I've traveled a lot in in, certainly in this role and in in my prior career. But now that I work in fintech, I think one of the things that's amazed me about Asia Pacific compared to the West is how fintech first this part of the world is. There is an inherent comfort with using your mobile phone, potentially even as your primary means of financial inclusion in many markets here. And what the current global situation in the last 18 months has done is to accelerate that even more. And and that's not just across payments, but it's also across things like e-commerce. So in in my own family, I have aged parents who live in India who had never used e-commerce until COVID happened. And now they are giving me advice on where I can find the best deal, right? So it's not just existing users who went deeper and got more comfortable and tried more products, but it's also brought many new people who wouldn't have been forced to think about digital ways of living their lives, right? So I think that's the first thing, that acceleration. The second thing, which has sort of been a happy coincidence, is that a few years ago, governments started taking fintech more seriously. So they got together and said, how can we enable these fintechs? What is the right kind of regulation that we can put in, right? We understand that we cannot treat fintechs like banks. They they don't need to hold the same amount of regulatory capital, which is one example. So what is the right licensing and supervisory regime that we can give them so that they can be true competitive players in the market and offer good services at a a low cost, right? So I think Singapore has been a great example where um, now we have the major payment institution framework, which is a single license for most fintechs. And you just choose what activities you want to offer and you convince the regulator that you are adequately resourced to do so. And we are seeing a similar convergence in many markets here in Asia Pacific. The third for me um, has also been this realization or an observation of how international Asia Pacific is when you look at businesses, particularly small and medium-sized businesses. We talk to these businesses in market after market. And in most markets, and Singapore is a great example of them, more than 70% of these businesses are international. And guess what many of them say is one of their big impediments to growing? It's the inability to deal well with foreign exchanges, getting good foreign exchange rates. And many of these businesses are now discovering digital options, whether it's us or, or any of the other providers in the market that are not your legacy incumbent. So, so when you bring all of this together, which is the change in consumer behavior, governments becoming more proactive, but businesses also getting into the mix, 
you are seeing a huge movement away from the traditional system of sending money into what fintechs are building around the world today and and we're only at the start of this and i think this is only going to continue into the years ahead so whether you are a traditional player or a new upstart in the fintech space what would be the mental model that you need to adopt in navigating around this fast growing sector there's a couple of things i think the, the first is is and is very relevant to us as an international company um yes we we have a, a core product proposition that we know is solving a problem around the world but we can't bring it to let to asia pacific in a silo we have to localize it as much as we as as required so one of the things that we learned here in this part of the world is that wallets are pretty important and so last year we we enabled remittances into wallets in several markets in asia pacific and ever since we did that our payments into wallets have gone up by 10 times in the last year alone right so you have to be global because when you do things at scale that's when you get the lower cost but you also have to be sufficiently local and relevant to your audience you need to have a if you're in indonesia you need to have your website in bahasa you need to think about you know product marketing that is also more local and things like that so i think having that awareness is important but the second is any company having that commitment to asia pacific also means being on the ground in asia pacific right having these local offices that can educate you on what those nuances are and then acting on those nuances to continue to build a better product so one interesting part is the technology component what are the key technology disruptions hovering around the fintech space which you are looking into when i think about disruption i don't think only in terms of technology i think of it in terms of a confluence of things so as i mentioned earlier regulators are opening up more the first is obviously through better licensing but the second way in which regulators are opening up is they are now giving non banks like ourselves direct access to the payment system so that means i don't need a middleman anymore to collect money from you if not if you are sending money abroad or to pay money to you i can connect directly to fast which is the instant payment system here in singapore as i have done in the uk in europe and in the future in australia and be able to do that and so this has also been a very big jump for regulators to make because traditionally these deals were only open to the incumbent banks right what does this let us do it lets us control the entire experience of moving money end to end which means we can build the innovative products at our speed and not have to depend on a partner which means we can lower prices even faster and and continue to make the product cheaper which is in line with our mission right so i think that ability which is now happening across multiple markets in asia you can india has recently announced something on it malaysia has announced something as i mentioned australia as well japan is in early days of doing that and so for a company like us to be directly integrated with those payment systems across multiple markets to move money around the world i think is a pretty compelling proposition the second question i'll probably preempt you here banad i get asked a lot about is well what about the role of crypto and sort of other alternate currencies if you will it is something that we look at as a company quite a bit and the main question that we are asking ourselves is is using a non fiat way of doing what we do today either going to make our product or service cheaper or faster or better and at least i can tell you confidently up until now the answer has always been a consistent no the reason is a few the first is primarily around regulation when we are regulated on both sides of the equation it is pretty critical that both sets of regulators are comfortable with using non standard currencies alternative currencies or cryptocurrencies as they may be in being part of the solution we still haven't gotten to that level of harmonization yet 
right? I mean, you're seeing what's happening in China, you're seeing what's happening in India, but then on the other side, you see a place like Singapore, which is extremely progressive when it comes to to these kinds of things. So uh, we we will keep watching the space and we will do it. But the second as well is the the absolute ubiquitousness of these currencies, their usage, the how much it costs to convert it back and forth to fiat. I think still hasn't gotten to a point where it can compete with the kinds of fees we offer today. And our average fee to send money from country A to country B is between 06 to 0.7%. So that's the, the very high bar that we are competing with. Cryptocurrency is still ongoing. And I think the innovations would take at least another few years before it actually materializes into something that would be very interesting to look at. So, Venkatesh, many thanks for coming on the show. And in closing, I have two questions to ask you. So the first one is, can you recommend for example, a bold movie, podcast, or TV series that have recently inspired your life? That's a hard one to, to choose, but a book that I read recently, it's a book called Grit, which is by Angela Duckworth. And what she's trying to do in the book is saying, if talent, intelligence, and IQ are all equal, why do some individuals still accomplish more than the others? Right? And the answer that she seems to come up with is, is what she calls grit. She defines grit as this special blend of passion and perseverance, of stamina, and of sticking with the future day in and day out and working on it like a marathon and not a sprint. And the reason this book resonated with me is really quite a bit because of the work that I have had a chance to do at WISE. Right? What we are doing here as an international fintech, as someone that's trying to make the world of finance a little bit fairer, that's trying to solve international banking, if you will, it's not easy. It's really challenging. It takes years to enable any change. It takes years to be regulated and recognized in new markets that we go into. But I think the difference and then the privilege that I've had here is to work with some of the grittiest people that I have met, is that people who feel motivated and inspired by a mission you get knocked down on some days, but you still wake up again the next day and you keep trying and trying until you're able to make the product better or drop our prices or make it faster, right? And I would recommend this book as it's an easy read for, for anyone that wants to learn more. Thank you for the recommendation. And the last question, how do my audience find you? I think the easiest way to find me is on my Twitter handle or you can send me a message on LinkedIn. I'll put those links on the show notes so that our audience can actually connect to you in any way possible. Vekatesh, many thanks for coming on the show. And uh, for the audience out there, you can actually Google us and find us anywhere, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or even many of the platforms out there. What we would love you to do is to leave a rating on the Apple Podcast or even give us a review as well. So uh, Vikatesh, I'm presumed that this is not going to be our first conversation and the last. So we're going to have you back in some time and maybe we can talk more about the ever-growing fintech space. Thank you. I look forward to that. Thank you so much, Bernard. Run it, run it, run it, run it.